Welcome to The Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about what's involved in the suck-swallow-breathe coordination your baby needs to figure out in order to breastfeed. It turns out there are a series of elements that have to come together, including muscles, ligaments, nerves, and bones. What happens when they don't, and what are some of the things you can do to help? Dr. Allison Hazelbaker is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Ergo Baby, making sturdy, comfortable, easy-to-use stylish baby carriers to help strengthen the bond between you and baby, provide comfort, and promote development. To find out more and support this podcast, go to birthful.com slash ergobaby. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it's super helpful if you can rate it on iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it. So to do that, go to birthful.com slash review. I've created a video on how to do it because it's... For me, it was a little complicated. So you can go and click on the view and iTunes link, then click on ratings and reviews, and then give me as many stars as you think the show deserves. Um, and if you can leave some kind words or words of any kind, that would be super helpful. So all it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthful.com slash review, and I will be forever ever grateful. So today, I have Dr. Hazel Baker. Um, here to talk about the suck, swallow, breathe coordination that baby needs to go through and figure out in order to breastfeed. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Hazel Baker has been a therapist for over 30 years. She specializes in cross-disciplinary treatments and is just a certified cranial sacral therapist, a lymph drainage therapy practitioner, and an international board certified lactation consultant. Her original research on tongue tie done in 1993 has changed clinical practice both in the USA and abroad. She authored the assessment tool for lingual frenulum function, which is also known as the shorter ATLFF, during her master's degree program. And this assessment remains the only research-based tongue tie screening process in infants under six months. With the apparent rise of tongue ties that we are seeing right now, she recently revised her master's thesis on, on tongue ties and in, into sorry into a comprehensive book on the condition called tongue tie morphogenesis impact assessment and treatment she also invented the hazel baker finger feeder to address sucking problems her willingness to address breastfeeding problems from a variety of perspectives and meet others where they are at philosophically has earned her the respect of peers and clients alike dr hazel baker authored multiple monographs and articles on lactation theory and management served on the journal of human lactation editorial review board for more than a decade, and she speaks on a variety of human development, lactation management, and lactation theory topics, including the use of the finger feeding as a therapeutic and clinical strategy and the assessment and treatment of tongue tie. Dr. Hazel Baker is a longtime La Leche League leader, mothered five children through breastfeeding, and has six wonderful grandchildren. Welcome, Dr. Hazel Baker. Oh, thank you so much, Adriana, for having me. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. Can I call you Allison? You bet. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so there's, I wanted, 
As I was reading your bio, you said you mothered five children through breastfeeding. Could you explain a little bit more of what that what you meant by that? Well, um, having been uh, raised in a in a less than stellar environment when I was a kid, and having not been breastfed myself, um, you know, I'm a product of the Dr. Spock era where you let babies cry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to do things differently, so I started going to La Leche League when I was pregnant with my uh, first baby, and um, and what I learned there was all kinds of cool things about attachment parenting, and I mean real attachment parenting, not the kind of stuff uh, that's the lenient let the kid do anything they want, but the, the kind of attachment parenting that is about responding appropriate to appropriately to your baby's needs. Um, that set me on a track of being a different kind of mother and breastfeeding is a part of that strategy. And of course, now we have all kinds of research that supports what we just intuitively knew, but didn't necessarily have the science to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's La Leche League. One of their mottos is good mothering through breastfeeding. And, um, and so I like to include that because it, it seems like that's kind of slipping by the wayside. Okay. okay. Yeah. As I read it through um, in the bio, I, I, it, it seemed something. Not very pe- many people um, comment or say they that they mother through breastfeeding. So I was curious about that. So thank you for explaining that. Sure. Now, before we get into the suck, swallow, breathe coordination topic, briefly, can we mention tongue ties? And I, I'm very curious. You, you were one of the pioneers in terms of detection of tongue ties. And um, it seems like now it's gotten out of hand and everything's a tongue tie. Can you explain a little bit what's going on? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we've, we've had this burgeoning awareness about the subject, which is a good thing because uh, 5% of babies are going to be affected by this congenital anomaly. Um, but only 5%. And so it's really important for us to keep in perspective what's what, because we certainly don't want to perform unnecessary surgery on a baby only to have them be traumatized, potentially um, refuse the breast or not to have it fix the real problem. Um, uh, one of the bigger problems that we're having these days is a, is an issue called torticollis. And um, that's a byproduct of some of our, our cultural birth practices. And we're going to get into that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But it, it's it, this is kind of a cautionary tale that I have. Um, we see all this stuff on Facebook, et cetera, about how, oh, well, your baby has a tongue tie. We see parents diagnosing other people's babies with tongue tie off of pictures that have been posted on the internet. This is not the right way to go about doing this. Um, it's because babies can have all different kinds of problems that can affect their sex, swallow, and breathe coordination. So it's really important to have somebody who who is expert at parsing out what's going on with the baby instead of just presuming that it's tongue tie or it's lip tie and then going and have surgery and then having it not resolve the problem and having the baby be adversely affected in the means twelve. Mm-hmm. And this ties into beautifully into what we're going to talk about today of the suck, swallow, breathe coordination, because you're going to explain to us what are all the elements that make that happen. I mean, the 
you know, we know babies do an incredible job of going from getting their nourishment and oxygen through the umbilical cord to then having coming out to the air world and figuring out how to bring breathe and drink milk and all that. But it's a very complex reflex that kind of just happens. What are the things that are involved that can create other problems that are being misdiagnosed as uh, tongue tie? Okay. So um, let me just start a little bit with uh, with what happens in utero, because babies who are 37 weeks gestation or older already have this important developmental reflex on board. So suck, swallow, and breathe are three different reflexes that are linked together to co- to create a nice, smooth, coordinated um, uh, movement of milk from the breast down into the baby's stomach. And that requires uh, a lot of, of uh, nerve involvement to make all of that go smoothly so the baby doesn't get milk into their lungs and air into their stomach. Um, so babies already are mature enough in utero to be able to coordinate, suck, swallow, and breathe. What ends up happening is that either intrauterine issues arise and or birth issues, especially our cultural birth practices, get in and mess all that up either because of structural problems or because of a pinched cranial nerve or because of some sort of of, uh, insult to the cerebellum that then... um, uh, causes the the synchrony of suck with swallow with breathe to somehow be compromised. Okay, so the second part of your question was, well, what can that be? Well, number one, babies who uh, don't feel completely attached to their mamas while they're in utero certainly can experience some psycho-emotional trauma. And even though it's it seems like people go, huh, how the baby is just kind of like an object, right? They don't really have the cognition to be able to understand what's going on around them. And that's just absolutely not true. We have a lot of uh, science that proves, including ultrasound studies where we image the baby's um, uh, face, their, the expressions they're making, um, what happens to them when noxious sounds and um, movements like poking the mother's belly occur. And they're very cognitive beings. They do, in fact, at some level, understand what's happening, and they certainly know if their mother is really not present to them. So it's really important for us to begin the attachment process while we're pregnant. It's a wonderful opportunity to make a beautiful psycho-emotional connection with our babies. Studies have shown that mothers who are attaching to their babies in this way actually have a smoother birth and a shorter birth Hmm. and one in which the baby experiences uh, less complications. So it behooves us to really pay attention to this. So moms out there, this is your wonderful opportunity to start talking to your baby and start saying how much you love them and crooning to them and playing wonderful music for them and uh, and talking to them about birth and how you can be a team during the birthing process. Now, we've got a major insult that happens. Well, two major insults that can happen. Stress, number one. Now, a little bit of stress is a good thing. We want to be able to stress our system and then recover and stress our system and then recover in very small increments. 
when we do that, then we build resilience. We build strength and we mature our brains. But too much stress is a very, very bad thing. And stress can actually impair the growth of the baby's brain. Uh, it also can create trauma while the baby is still inside. So again, we have an opportunity to have um, a, a relatively stress-free pregnancy so that we can support our baby's growth. The second thing that has happened is that we have become more and more sedentary. We're not moving our bodies nearly as much as we used to. Uh, and we sit around on our telephones, me included, so I'm not disincluding myself here. This is something my daughters do. I have a pregnant daughter, and we always talk about, look, should you be sitting there on the couch like a couch potato, or should you be getting up and moving around? And the answer is you should be getting up and moving around. You should stretch so that your you, the postural problems that come from moving a mouse around and sitting in front of a computer um, or uh, sitting at a desk all day long or from uh, staring at your phone that is in your lap instead of having it in an ergonomic position so that we can be sure that our pelvic floors are well balanced. Now, I want to say that, that this to mothers, that it's really important because of modern lifestyle, we have changed the balance in our pelvic floors. We're not moving as much. So it's important to be sure that that gets taken care of before you go into labor because an imbalanced pelvis results in a baby who is entering the pelvis kind of whoppy-jawed. They're not coming straight in in proper alignment. And that whoppy-jawed position of their head can lead to a condition known as torticollis. And torticollis in turn can affect the synchrony between suck, swallow, and breathe. So that was kind of a long-winded answer. Wow. <laughs> there was so I'm taking notes and I'm going, what about this? What about that? I gonna I want to ask about this other thing. <laughs> um and wapijad, what a beautiful word. I hadn't uh, heard that one before. That's a that's a word from my childhood. I think I'm dating myself. <laughs> from that. <laughs> in terms of how we're changing our balance in our pelvic floor, and I'm the first one that is completely guilty of sitting too much all day. Um, you said moms should have that check on, checked out to try to help baby go into the the pelvis in a better position and not be asynclitic and not end up with torticollis. What are ways to make sure that's okay? Um, what are suggestions to not have that balance be so out of whack? Um, I, I love the work that's happening by two wonderful women, Katie Bowman and uh, Gail Tully. Gail Tully is responsible for the Spinning Babies website, and some of the exercises that she shows there are, are beautiful for rebalancing the pelvic floor and for preparing for birth um, and helping the baby to stay floating. We actually want the baby to float. We don't want them to settle down into the pelvis. A baby settling down into the pelvis is not an indication that that labor is imminent. So, uh, so ladies, don't don't think that that's that's the case. We want babies to float for as long as they can, and then they'll they'll be more likely to come down into the pelvis in in um, a, a better position. So, the Gail Tully site, Spinning Babies, is one place to go. The second thing that moms can do is to go to a site by Katie Bowman. Um, restorative exercise is what she does. She has a videotape called Down There for Women. And this is for uh, preconception, 
during gestation and in the postpartum period. This is a wonderful way to rebalance things once you've had the baby. Um, so uh, those are some strategies. There's another fun thing that women can do during pregnancy, and that's to take um, a special class that combines belly dancing movements uh, with just kind of some fun general movements. And um, I'm not quite sure what the what the class is called, but if you Google uh, belly dancing during pregnancy, I'm sure that you'll you'll find some things. So that can be a really fun way to to start to rebalance the hips, realign them, and to uh, increase your pelvic floor health. Mm, and that I think the the program that I've heard about that it might be the one you're referring to is called Dancing for Birth. That could be it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's like childbirth education classes mixed in with dancing, dancing for birth, and and um, it it seems fantastic. So that's a great resource. And I actually did uh, interview Gail Tully earlier this year, last year. Um, so listeners can listen to that podcast. And I would love. I've been trying to get Katie Bowman on the show, but I can't reach her. So maybe you can help me out with that if you if you know her if you have an in. <laughs> I, I don't have an in. Oh. I would love to have an in, but um, she has trained, she's trained a whole bunch of practitioners, and I think she's really, she may be focusing on, you know, getting as many people trained as possible. And if you live in Columbus, Ohio, your resource would be Lisa Gillespie. She is, uh, has been trained by Katie Bowman and is just doing, she's doing group classes, she's doing private sessions. It's, she's uh, just doing a terrific job of helping people to, to rebalance their pelvic floors. Fantastic. So let's take a, st a step back from the pelvis. So that's anything else that moms should be considering or doing to, uh, you know, give baby a good head start, um, like this balancing of the pelvis and is anything else that to be done during pregnancy? Um, I, I would say not necessarily, um, I can't think of anything else during pregnancy, but I will say this, just say no to drugs in childbirth because the epidural is going to um, uh, relax your pelvic floor and uh, you're not going to be able to necessarily feel your pushing. You can damage your pelvic floor. You can cause it to get misaligned. And then when you get pregnant the next time, you're entering that pregnancy with an unbalanced pelvic floor. Uh, and that's not the only thing that epidurals can do. Now, I have morally nothing against the use of drugs during childbirth, but when that drug, the the risks outweigh the benefits, then we really have to be honest about getting out there and disseminating that information. But we have a, a an absolute epidemic of torticollis, and it's because our moms who have had epidurals for their first baby say, I don't want to do that again. I want to do something different but they haven't uh, generated fitness of their pelvic floor. And so they enter that second preg pregnancy or third pregnancy with this imbalanced pelvic floor, and then that generates problems with the next birth. Very interesting. I, I keep taking tons of notes, and I'm like, we're, we're getting there. We, we, will be, we will be getting to the suck, swallow, and breathe. <laughs> But there's so much interesting beforehand. So, um, okay, so balancing. I have to do a whole show on balancing the pelvic floor at some mm. point. Mm. Gotta, mm. gotta yeah. be able to get to Katie, or if not, I'm gonna, uh, I will try to reach out to Lisa Gillespie. Um, but back to the suck, swallow, breathe. 
what so once you're let's skip the birth right now and we'll okay. come back around to it and let's talk about after baby's born what are the most common factors that you see that make it difficult for babies to coordinate that suck swallow and breathing that can create problems well, we're going to have to go back to the birth because okay. um, it is the birth, it's the intrauterine environment and or the birth itself that is uh, creating the most number of problems with sex swallow breathe coordination. And that can happen in uh, a couple different ways. Um, number one, we have, uh, typically speaking, when a mother gets an epidural, she's also going to get Pitocin. Pitocin is going to cause what we call tetanic contractions, really, really intense contractions. It's also going to rob the mother and the baby of the oxytocin that they need in order to acclimate to one another and to the outside world. It's also going to reduce the number of endorphins flowing through both of their systems, again, impairing their ability to acclimate to each other and bond and to the outside world. Well, that's not the only thing it does because the epidural is getting to the baby and the epidural has an affinity for fat. And one of the areas of the body that has the most amount of fat is the brain. So the epidural narcotics like to go to the brain and uh, create some problems with the brainstem. Well, suck, swallow, and breathe being a reflex is actually coordinated at the brainstem and the cerebellar level. So we have this epidural narcotic that's hanging around the brainstem and is affecting the baby's ability to arouse, to be fed. Um, it is affecting the amount of oxytocin that is being released in the baby's system and in the mother's system. So it can impair milk coming in. Uh, so we have a combination of a baby not arousing and the mother's milk not coming in quickly enough. And so we have an access problem. And as a, a, a your re listeners may or may not know, it is absolutely essential to have a baby at breast in order to get the whole thing moving and working correctly. So if the baby's not at the breast and the narcotic is impairing their coordination of suck, swallow, and breathe, then we've got a baby who even if once they do get at the breast, they're not able to efficiently transfer the colostrum and the milk that the mother is making. And that's, that's the domino that falls. And then the rest of the dominoes fall thereafter. Most women are not going to continue breastfeeding if it is not working well for them. And so we see women giving up on day two, day three, certainly within the first week. Uh, and that's, that's a big problem. So the narcotic per se is problematic. Now the Pitocin is doing something else. The Pitocin is acting on the baby's body in a very interesting ways and ways that we're just now finding out. That Pitocin is affecting an area of the brain called the basal ganglion. The basal ganglia are very important nuclei that are responsible for helping with the timing between sucking, swallowing, and breathing. The Pitocin, in addition to that, is impairing the um, uh, the oxytocin, it's gobbling up the receptor sites for oxytocin. And uh, that oxytocin is really essential for that baby to be able to acclimate to the world outside and to stay calm and to fall in love with its mama. Mm -hmm. 
and vice versa. So we've got multiple vectors when we um, think about the use of, uh, of epidural narcotics and Pitocin. Now there's another thing that can happen. If the baby is entering the pelvis, wappy-jawed, then uh, that baby is going to have forces placed on its head, neck, and shoulders, and subsequently the hips, that are uh, extraordinary forces, more, uh, and more so if the bag of waters is broken. And unfortunately, when we use epidurals and Pitocin during childbirth, or we do various other things that are typically done in hospital, we are breaking the bag of waters long before Mother Nature would break those bag of waters. Those bag of waters are designed to, um, uh, uh, to spread the forces of the labor contractions over a larger surface area and to help the force um, reduce because of the way that the water is going to um, transduce that force. So the bag of waters is a protective mechanism for the amount of force that's in labor. So you can imagine that we've got no bag of waters. We've got these really extra strong contractions because of the Pitocin. We have the baby's head coming against the cervix, wappy-jawed at an angle, and all that force is going into the baby's head and down into the neck and to the shoulders. Well, the cranial nerves, the nerves that govern sex, swallow, and breathe coordination are passing out of the skull through various holes in the skull that are impacted by these forces. And those nerves can get pinched. They can overfire, they can underfire, and when any kind of change happens in their coordination, we're going to see that reflected in the baby's sex, swallow, and breathe coordination. So from all this, what I'm like almost getting is that most babies will have some sort of head trauma impact um, when they're born if they're in the hospital. Well, in this country, yes, because we have a 75% epidural rate and we have uh, nearly a 100% intervention rate. Okay, so considering that is the case and most, you know, a big amount of moms are going to get epidurals and have Pitocin and may they're not, they may not have been moving much during pregnancy and their pelvic floor is imbalanced, so baby might be coming in encyclitic, like all these things together. What do you recommend for them to try to help? So let's say this all happens, or, or let's say, you know, you're one of those moms that, that definitely has some challenges during the birth process through no fault of your own. It just is the way that the, the deck of cards was stacked. Then in the early postpartum period, we have to be sure that we're checking the baby out. You know, we have to look for some of these structural problems. Um, and then we have to get right on board with uh, doing the kinds of therapy that are going to help them to recover from these kinds of insults. Uh, and that can uh, look like body work. It can look like support from an experienced, knowledgeable lactation consultant. And by lactation consultant, I mean IBCLC, not CLC or CLE or any of those other initials. Those people are educators rather than uh, therapists. Um, so the IBCLC is the is the person uh, with whom you want to make contact and get a really good evaluation to determine exactly what's going on. 
chances are it's not tongue-tied. Chances are it's torticollis or it could be plagiocephaly. And plagiocephaly is when the head looks flat on uh, one side of the back of the head. Another condition called brachycephaly can occur, uh, again, because of our modern lifestyle. That's the flattening of the entire back of the head. Um, so you want to have a knowledgeable pair of eyes looking at this to assess this properly. Go ahead. And then you want to, you know, enlist the, the proper kinds of therapy. Craniosacral therapy, although um, it hasn't, there haven't been formal research studies done on it, but worldwide, craniosacral therapy is a very popular form of gentle body work, gentle for the baby, um, that is designed to release these kinds of uh, uh, body misalignments through working with the connected tissue. It's not manipulation. It's not massage. Um, it's not going to make your baby cry or, you know, harm your baby in any way. But anecdotally, uh, that means the experience of people shows that craniosacral therapy is very effective for dealing with sex, swallow, and breed problems. But so is occupational therapy. And occupational therapy, going to see an OT doesn't mean that your baby is retarded or has brain damage or anything like that. Occupational therapists, their job is to uh, work with problems like this and uh, to help to rectify the suck, swallow, and breathe issues. Now, not all occupational therapists work with infants, so you have to find somebody who knows about breastfeeding, who knows about suck, swallow, breathe physiology, and, and work with them. So, what, what about um, chiropractic adjustments? Chiropractic adjustments may very well be indicated. And I, and I want to let the listeners know that this is not get in there and crunch, crunch, crunch. Pediatric chiropractors have special a special skill set for working with babies. And they use very, very light touch, but it's just a rapid light touch. It's that rapidity that works on the particular cells in the uh, ligaments of the spine that helps the uh, vertebra to realign. And, and yes, it's, it's very likely that if a baby has torticollis, they also have misalignment in the separate vertebra of the spine, especially in the upper neck. And whenever the second vertebra of the neck is out of adjustment, it causes the baby to clench their jaw. And when they clench their jaw, they retract their tongue. And when they retract their tongue, their airway is not protected. And we will see discoordinated suck, swallow, breathe rhythm. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that you might have to do more than one. You know, it might be a, a, a joined multidisciplinary body work that you might have to do on your baby because... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but cranial sacral works more on the fascia and, and sort of softer tissues and the chiropractic works on the bones. And But all of these different parts and the muscles is more the OT, but all of these different parts, systems can be impacted by an asynclitic presentation or those, those forces or it, it, it's not just nerves or not just bones and not just fascia. It's all of them together. It's all of them together. You're, you're, you're so right. And it's not necessarily a one treatment fix. So ladies, if you happen to have an issue like this, it's really important for, uh, for you to understand that there's going to be a therapeutic process. So you can't just go to a craniosacral therapist, let's say, and have one treatment. That isn't going to cut it. Um, it's, it's going to be a course of treatment. 
Um, and in our clinic, we see with torticollis that oftentimes we have to do as many as eight to 10 before we work through everything that needs to be worked through. Um, but these, these approaches are very effective in dealing with suck, swallow, breathe discoordination. So if your baby has a problem, don't give up. There is help out there. You don't have to quit breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And what for moms out there, what are some telltale signs that this might be going on? Like I know if baby is preferring one side, that might be um, one you know, pointing to some sort of physical um, impediments or or blockages that can be causing problems with that. What are other sort of telltale signs that you look for? If your baby has a head turning preference and has difficulty turning their head to the opposite side, uh, that would be one telltale sign. A head tilt that is persistent is another telltale sign. A baby who doesn't like to be in tummy time is another telltale sign. A baby who is clenching their jaw uh, during breastfeeding, thereby causing your nipple to look smashed or have a crease across the tip or to look like a, a brand new lipstick um, shape, that, those would be telltale signs. Any kind of nipple soreness is uh, might be an indication or a baby who is having difficulty latching on at all Uh, all of those would be signs that things are not going well a baby who also has difficulty uh, handling the flow of your milk even if you have a fast letdown a baby still should be able to handle that if they have coordinated suck swallow and breathe typically speaking so If your baby is having difficulty handling your letdown, um, if your baby is not transferring enough milk, uh, these would all be indications that you you really need to get your baby looked at. And how, so especially like with preemies, you often hear that breastfeeding can be, it's hard work and it can be tiring and they have to develop their muscles and jaws and, and they can become tired and, and loose latch. Um, how consistent is it just one time that baby's not latching so well, then that should be looked at? Or is it something that's been going on for five days? Or how quickly should moms get to talk to a professional? Well, if your baby doesn't latch on immediately after birth, because you should, you know, it's lovely to do the breast crawl, that's going to be help with that critical period with your milk supply in the first hour or so after birth. Um, A baby should latch on well the very first time. If your baby doesn't latch on at all, that is an indicator that you need to at least have another pair of eyes that are uh, experienced taking a look at this. so from the very first latch, you should be able to tell if a baby's having uh, some sucking issues. Sometimes babies just need a little bit of time to recoup. So within the first 24 to 48 hours, you should find them coming to breast and doing a good job of transferring that colostrum. If you have any nipple pain, if the baby is having any difficulty with latching on or sustaining that latch um, uh, without compressing uh, your nipple then you need to have that baby looked at and where do pediatricians come into this mix well they kind of don't other than being the guardians of your baby's overall health 
Pediatricians, typically speaking, in this country, really don't care if your baby's breastfeeder isn't breastfed. They may say they support breastfeeding, but they, they don't get training in school. They don't have a lot of information unless they've taken the time to go and get trained about breastfeeding. They oftentimes will suggest the wrong kinds of solutions. Uh, not all of them, but, uh, you know, a good number of them. And so, uh, you know, they will be a partner with the other members of the healthcare team in making sure that your baby overall and in general is healthy. But the, the, to resolve a suck, swallow, and breathe problem, it's the lactation consultant who is the person. And would uh, the lactation consultant be the one to refer you to, say, cranial sacral or occupational therapist or chiropractor? Or is it fine if your pediatric does that, a pediatrician does that as well? Or just your intuition says, I got to get somebody to see my baby? All three of those things are going to be uh, multiple pathways to get the kind of care that a baby might need. Um, so the pediatrician, if they're, uh, you know, have developed really excellent networking and relationships in a community, may know of the craniosacral therapist, occupational therapist, or chiropractor who is going to be able to help with these problems. Uh, but don't necessarily count on that. It may be your lactation consultant who is going to be the person, but not all lactation consultants know about cranial sacral therapy um, uh, or necessarily are the experts in suck, swallow, breathe coordination. So it's one of those things where you have to kind of explore. Oftentimes intuition is best if you're plugged in to health food stores or massage therapy or whatever. You can oftentimes find craniosacral therapists through that pathway. Is it helpful for the mom to have a treatment as well? Absolutely. This is craniosacral therapy is one of the most relaxing forms of body work, and it can help with, uh, you know, the pelvic floor. It can help with rebalancing. It can help with toning the central nervous system. It can help with uh, relaxing sore shoulders, uh, sore back. Um, it's just a, a wonderful modality that can can really assist the mom as well. And I guess we should have talked about this before we at the at the beginning. But can you explain a little bit how cranial sacral therapy helps with all of the, those things? What what level does it work on? Well, it's working with the mechanoreceptors in the connective tissue of the body that is known as fascia. Now, fascia is all over your body, from your tendons and ligaments onto the uh, protective envelope for your organs to the uh, 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 the. Uh, connective tissue that is interdigitating with your muscle fibers to help you to stand upright uh, or to lay down as the case may be. Um, so fascia is everywhere and it's all interconnected. So we oftentimes think that our bones are connected to one another, but that's not true. Our bones actually float inside our body. It's not our skeleton that gives our, uh, us our structure. It's our fascia. So craniosacral therapy is working with a, uh, the interstitial mechanoreceptors. That's the most common mechanoreceptor. And a mechanoreceptor is a cell that sends a signal to the brain. It is communicating directly with the brain, and then the brain sends the signal back. Those mechanoreceptors are telling our brain the position of our body in space. 
So fascia is extremely important to helping us to move. Uh, so craniosacral therapy is very adept at working through these mechanoreceptors to help to change the messages that are going to the brain so that we can help to change our body's alignment. And in that way, we are able to release anything that's impairing our proper alignment and help the body to find better alignment over time. So um, it's a, a, a very powerful modality and I personally consider it the king of bodywork modalities because of this uh, its ability to work this way. And when you think of it as a like the fascia sheath that is covering your whole body and it's in it and all your organs and everything it makes sense that if it's dehydrated or if it's tight in one part it's just going to drag everything that way. Yes, right. Yeah. So I had as you were talking um I remembered a baby that I once came across and I, I'm not a lactation consultant or a counselor or anything lactation. So it was something I had not heard about, but this baby was born and the nurse said, oh, see what's happening? He's sucking his tongue. He's a tongue sucker. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is and how this might relate to what we're talking about today? Well, I'm not quite sure because I wasn't there, so I don't know what that particular individual meant by that. All babies suck on their tongues. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they they do so just sort of as a involuntary kind of thing. They just sort of, you know, the during the resting phase, uh, their tongue is resting at the uh, at their hard palate right behind where their teeth will eventually come in. And, um, and so sometimes they just, you know, are engaging in little sucking movements. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what that yeah. particular person meant by that. So what was happening with this baby is because he was sucking his tongue, every time he tried to breastfeed and latch, he, his tongue would push the nipple out. It was like he had gotten into a way of sucking the tongue that was getting in the way of figuring how to suck a nipple. Well, not to get too technical, but that sounds like an actual tongue thrusting problem as opposed to a tongue sucking problem. Um, that's a sensory issue that in terms of the sensory pathway, some, the message has gotten garbled because the actual response should be that as soon as the mucous membrane is stimulated by a nipple or by a finger, that the baby should open their mouth, drop their tongue, and, uh, and uh, place it over their lower gum line in readiness to receive uh, the breast nipple. Um, that sh is the proper response to stimulation. So the fact that the baby was thrusting its tongue instead of opening mouth wide and dropping the tongue and moving it forward slightly is um, demonstrates that there was uh, a sensory problem and a little glitch in mm -hmm. there. And I wish I could remember what happened in that birth. Like, uh, I would have to look for it, right? But um, but it was very interesting to me because it was a, a whole thing, something I had never encountered. And was like, huh, I didn't know this could happen. Um, so with that, it, same things that we talked about. Talk to a lactation consultant or do some body work. Yes. Mm-hmm. What, one more thing I wanted to ask you about is we talked about the the impact of the birth process on the suck, swallow, breathe, uh, and breastfeeding in general. What about circumcision? Um, 
Well, circumcision is most often done without an anesthetic. And of course, it's not medically necessary. Um, so we've got a little baby who has uh, just had a, an intense passage from inside to outside who is still acclimating to the outside world. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and chops off uh, a very uh, sensitive part of their penis. Um, oftentimes, these babies withdraw. So it's very common for um, uh, a, a sweet little boy to um, just shut down. And that's an indication that they've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. So it can directly impact breastfeeding, but it's more, it's not so much... It's a, it's, a, it's a psychological, it, would it be fair to say it's a psychological impact? Well, it, yeah, absolutely. We can't divorce the mind from the body. So if you experience overwhelming pain because nobody bothered to give you an anesthetic and they chop off a sensitive part of your penis, it stands to reason that an immature being is going to just withdraw in order to cope. And, and they stay withdrawn oftentimes for hours and hours. That doesn't make a good feeder. Um, now, can, can they get over it? Yeah, sure, they can. And one of the strategies that I would say uh, for moms is um, uh, if for some reason you decide to go ahead and have your little boy circumcised, number one, wait until they're eight or nine days old and do a bris instead. Have a, have a rabbi do it because they're very, very skilled. Um, or do lots of skin-skin contact. Skin-skin contact is going to help to release oxytocin into the system. That's going to help to calm the baby down. That's going to help them to overcome the withdrawal. It's going to reduce the level of cortisol in their system, a stress hormone. Uh, so that's a very good strategy. And in fact, by doing skin-skin contact and uh, some laid-back breastfeeding, you may very well find that you're able to mitigate the effect the psycho-emotional effect of the, um, of the circ. Mm -hmm. And skin-to-skin -skin contact would also be like a good recommendation for any baby um, that's having suck, suck, swallow, breathe problems, um, regardless of what other modalities are you do to try to correct the problem. It is our n number one strategy. And uh, ladies, don't be shy about this because it feels good to you too. You're going to release more milk-making hormone. You're going to release more oxytocin. You're going to fall in love with your baby deeper and deeper. It's just going to be a wonderful strategy. So don't be shy about putting your baby skin to skin. It's just wonderful for both of you. And skin to skin doesn't have a time limit in terms of how long you do it for or even not just like, you know, the first day, the second day. You can do it into a week, two weeks, however long, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, we ha we have a tendency in this culture to want to get up and run around the house and do this, that, and the other thing right after birth. But, you know, there's a big gaping wound on your uterus. Um, it needs time to heal. And the more you do, the more you bleed, and, it, and the longer it's going to take for that, that wound to heal. So it's really important to, to lie in with your baby and cuddle and snuggle and skin to skin and, and lay low. That's, that's the strategy. So, um, uh, you know, and, and lying in used to be six weeks. But if you can squeeze in a good week or two of laying low like that and tucking yourself and your baby into, into bed, um, that would be a wonderful strategy. And for mamas that have to be creative and go back to work um, too soon, 
laying in during the weekends or trying to do, you know, lowering the bar of how what to do during the weekends and just recovering and taking care more care of themselves and their baby would be a would you say that's a good substitute? I, I think that's a wonderful strategy. And, you know, for those of you who are list makers like I am, I'm a type A personality, and and I would have these long lists in my head and sometimes another list that I actually wrote down thinking that I was going to accomplish all those things uh, during the daytime. And what I quickly found out is that I needed to tear that list in half and then tear it in half again and then tear it in half again. And that was more realistic about what I actually could get done. Breastfeeding a baby is a full-time job. I mean, you're actually going to spend, you know, a good 80 hours a week doing childcare uh, with a newborn baby. And, and that's the reality of it. That doesn't leave a whole lot of time uh, to do housework and other things. And so, you you know, the dust bunnies will be there under the bed. And, uh, you know, the carpet doesn't need to be swept every day. And, you know, the laundry, okay, so it piles up. Wear dirty clothes. No big deal. You know, we have to keep these things in perspective. Um, you know, our modern lifestyles can be extremely stressful. But having a newborn baby gives you an excuse to sort of check out for a little bit. I always call it go do a very weird vacation. Imagine you're doing a weird because on vacation you never clean, you never do laundry, you never mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't do any of these things. So just do a vacation in your house. Yep, exactly. Allison, thank you so so much. Is there anything that we left out that you wanted to mention about the sexual breath re- uh, reflex or coordination? You know, it's really important to keep in mind that these problems are fixable that they are rarely associated with any kind of um, uh, brain damage or any kind of severe issue. Um, and they, they, are, they need to have therapy, but they are transient in the sense that we can, we can correct them. So if your baby happens to have a problem like this, take heart. Um, it is something that can be addressed. Mm, that's great to know. Definitely. Seek help. Don't be afraid and get to it because you they, they can be the difference between breastfeeding and, and not breastfeeding. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. If listeners wanted to get in contact with you, follow what you're doing, see what you're up to, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to my website, www.allison.com with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N, Hazelbaker, H-A-Z-E-L-B-A-K-E-R.com. Fantastic. That's how I found you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and all, all that you do. This has great, been great information. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter, and even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to exclusive goodies like the Birthful Mamas private group. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey. 
A. Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.